I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down Alright, so we have our first down. spring football edition of the Devil's Junkie Podcast I am host Ralph Amsden And uh, I've been out at all three practices so far I'm excited to get into this with you um, And let's just be frank I mean, this is a, this is a team uh, that we came in uh, as the staff of Devil's Digest, myself, Fabian Ardaya, Justin Toscano, uh, Hode Rubino, you know, we, we came in trying to identify some type of identity uh, for, for this team. You know, obviously the storylines are completely rich. You have players sitting out with injury, you have players coming back from injury, um, there's freshmen who are here for the spring more than usual, uh, you know, they're getting to practice in the stadium. Uh, there's, there's so many things going on. You have the new coaches. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of storylines. Uh, and lost in all of it is is this idea that this team needs to have some type of identity. Uh, obviously, a couple of years ago, this was the Simone and Berkovici show. Um, you know, they had lofty expectations, talked about national championships. It was an exciting year, but obviously things didn't turn out the way that Arizona State uh, would have hoped. Had a couple of uh, bad calls go their way, had some issues with the pass defense, and they end up going 6-7. and seven. And then last year, you know, it was really all about the quarterback battle, and, and Laiu Mokiola set the tone for what was going to be, you know, quiet leadership and everybody keep your head down and do your job. Well, you dealt with a ton of injuries um, and you go five and seven, you end up with a bunch of staff turnover. So, you know, you, you come into these spring practices hoping to gauge some idea of what this team is going to be about. Is it going to be uh, about the senior running backs and 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 the development of the offensive line is it going to be the Blake Barnett show is Manny Wilkins going to hold on to his job you know what is everything going to look like and ultimately, after after thinking on it, after watching three different practices, um, I've I've kind of decided uh, what I think people should mentally do with this team, how they should prepare themselves and how they should go into viewing the 2017 Arizona State Sun Devils. And you may disagree, but hear me out on this. Here's the deal. This team, if they win, great. If they lose, you're going to see massive amounts of transition, probably an entirely new coaching staff. You'll see players come and go and you'll be into a completely different era of Sun Devil football. Um, So, I, you know, I wouldn't say the coaches have nothing to lose. They have everything to lose. This is their livelihood. This is their job. People don't like moving every year. You know, even if you make a lot of money, it's still completely inconvenient to have to uproot your entire family uh, and and go from job to job. You know, year to year. Uh, that that's not something that anybody wants to do. You know, the people that are here uh, are focused on hopefully success for the for the long haul and some stability, uh, including head coach Todd Graham and and everybody that he's brought in into this program. You know. They, of course, coaches are always going to climb and look for better opportunities. Nobody's going to turn down something that that you know triples their salary or puts them closer to home or or helps them fulfill a dream, you know. But but ultimately, what everybody's looking for is is stability and to win. If they don't win, they're not going to be around. I think. 
it would be fair to say that another five and seven season isn't going to live up to what Ray Anderson set out to do in bringing in all of his coaches, which is to compete for championships in every single sport. Uh, looking at the number of people and the number of turnover that there's been with almost every single job except for football and women's basketball, you'd have to say that if this team doesn't prove itself, then you know Ray Anderson's going to do what he's done with the other programs and him being a football guy he's probably got plenty of connections and plenty of good ideas as far as who could lead this program uh, to the next level if it's not going to be Todd Graham and the rest of that coaching staff so knowing that knowing that and knowing that this team has recruited better than it ever has in any other era, they've brought in exciting transfers from other Power 5 schools who weren't necessarily getting the opportunities that they wanted. I think that this is a team that you don't have to come up with an identity for. I think ultimately the 2017 Sun Devils are something that win or lose, as a fan, you have the ability to just enjoy the ride. Because uh, the fate is sealed. If they win... They're sticking around. If they don't win, they're not. Uh, as a fan, your rooting interest is obviously going to be for them to do as, as, as well as they possibly can. But in college football, especially if you're the type of fan that pays for message board access, uh, at, at a place like Devil's Digest, you're always concerning yourself with all of the moving parts, the depth chart, what the coaches are doing, what their coaching style is, you know, what regions they're looking at, uh, what the out-of-conference schedule is, who they're playing in November, if it's home or away, um, how the bowl games are setting up. All of these moving parts factor into your lifestyle as a college football fan. You know, the every, everything matters from when the schedule is released to the games that they're making for the 2025-2026 seasons 10 years down the road. But I think that this Sun Devils team affords you the opportunity to dismiss all of that and just enjoy the ride. The 2017 Arizona State Sun Devils are either going to be good, uh, they're either going to be good enough, or, or they're not. Whoever ends up being quarterback, it's going to have to be good enough to get them to 7-5, and 8-4 and four in order to continue moving this train down the tracks. If they get it done, they get it done. If they don't, they don't. You know what the consequences are. And you ultimately have an idea of what you'd like them to do as far as as, as being successful. Um, the drama's there. Obviously, you have position battles. You're senior heavy at running back. You have you have youth in the offensive line. You have transfers coming out to play receiver. Um, there's nowhere to go but up for the defensive backfield. The defensive line is large, uh, but do they have the depth to make an impact? Linebacker, they have some of the most athletic players they've ever had. They're going to have a freshman kicker who is considered one of the best in the country come in and try to replace a Lou Groza award winner. All of those storylines are going to be the drama that you're going to get to enjoy just through the regular unfolding of a college football season. But you don't necessarily have to concern yourself with the weight of what it means for this team to be successful or what it means if they're not. I think that that's pretty much outlined for you. I think knowing that's the case, you know, you you get to just sit back 
and and enjoy. If, if the team's not winning, then you get to see who's performing well. Uh, cheer on the players that you like in in those specific scenarios, uh, and hope for the best. And you know, and if they are winning, and if they do develop some type of identity, and if Kalen Balaj and Demario Richard uh, play up to their capabilities behind a rebuilt and resurgent offensive line, and the quarterback, whoever it may be, is 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 able to put them in a, in a position um, to complete some passes down the field and also make some plays with their legs, um, you know, then enjoy it. Then you know that this coaching staff is likely going to be back and they can continue to build on on the successes that they have. But ultimately, I think that watching this team in spring just gives you the opportunity to, to relax. It's going to unfold the way that it unfolds. And, of course, that might be true with any program in the country. But, look, Todd Graham isn't a first-year coach. You're not looking for the pendulum to swing like it did from Dennis Erickson's undisciplined era to you know to what Todd Graham brought to the table. They're in the mode of tinkering with the things that didn't work to see if they can get them to work this year. They are under the maximum amount of pressure that you can have. Uh, you know, there's there's not really any leeway here, so you can't say, oh well, if he goes. Um, six and six, but they look better at the end of the year. Or they compete in the Pac-12. No, six and six is not going to do it. You know, they got to be competitive in the Pac-12. They got to be competitive out of conference. They at least, at the bare minimum, have to have a winning record. They should probably go to a bowl, and they should probably win that bowl. I don't think it's going to be worth the debate all season long about you know which coaches are going to stay, which coaches are going to go. Um, or what it's going to take for a coach to stay or go. Ultimately, you're going to know if this team is a good team or not. Mediocre is not going to get it done. Bad's definitely going to call for some serious turnover, which you're going to have anyway because you, you have quite a few um, impactful seniors on on this year's squad. But I don't necessarily think this is going to be the team that – that you have to ride or die with every single week. I think that you can just enjoy the ride. If they're good, they're good. If they're not, they're not. You know exactly what's going to happen. And with that being said, watching this team during spring football, everything that they're focused on feels a lot different than what we've seen in past years. They're teaching fundamentals. This feels like uh, and looks like the type of practices that you see a high school freshman team undergoing. This is how you tackle. This is your form when you tackle. These are the angles that you take when the ball carrier is making it out to the sideline. Make sure you use the sideline. The sideline is your friend. Make sure that you high point the ball if you're a receiver. Make sure that you keep your eyes on the quarterback if you're a defensive back. If you are a receiver, look the ball in. Keep your head up. Watch the quarterback. Tuck the ball. Those are all the things that you can hear these coaches saying on every single rep in the media availability portion of these practices. This isn't uh, the same team that last year, you know, hit the ground running and, you know, we we underachieved, but we know what we need to do. Everybody just get to it. That, that was last year. This year, it's let's make sure everybody's fun, fundamentally sound. Let's make sure that everybody's practicing every rep perfectly every single time. Michael Slater, the defensive line coach, he doesn't let a single rep go by without commenting on what somebody is doing or what they could be doing better. He wants everybody to have their perfect rep every single time. 
Phil Bennett, the defensive coordinator, watching him today on, on, on Saturday in the third spring practice, you know, he, he's somebody who critiques every single motion that the defensive player ma- makes. And if they don't get it right, he makes them go again right then and there. Correct it right then and there. No time to think on it. No time for the coach to figure to forget about what you did wrong. Coach it up right then and there. You, know, you still have Keith Patterson working with the linebackers. You still have some continuity with T.J. With rushing on the defense. And, and you know, you're going to have Josh Martin working with tight ends, and he's been around the team for several years. But for the most part, you have all of these new coaches on board, and what they all seem to be focused on is making sure that each player knows exactly what to do um, before you ever have to worry about getting into any schematic things you know rob sale the offensive line coach that's somebody who's brought in a lot more intensity than we're used to seeing from chris thompson and he's you know he's out there telling you telling these players i can teach you what to do i can you know i I can coach you up on each rep and good form and where to stand i can fix all of that and just allow you to be successful so let me do it the one voice that is noticeably absent from all these practices is head coach todd graham it has been a fascinating change to watch him be more of a manager. He, you know, we in the media availability portion of the three practices that I've been at, I've seen him talk more to the people who were responsible for making sure that practice runs smoothly, that put the pads where they go, that make sure the timer is is counting up the sessions correctly, um, that you know, that make sure the the equipment and the, and, and the trainers, the guys on Muscle Beach are all doing what they're supposed to. I've seen him talk more to them than I have heard him bark at any of the players. You know, and by this time, three practices into spring and any previous year that he's here, that he's probably lost his voice by now. He's been able to save his voice. He's been able to watch Billy Napier closely as he works with the offense and Rob Likens works with the wide receivers. He's been able to watch the defensive line get instruction from Michael Slater. He's been able to watch Rob Sale. I heard him chime in one time on one thing that Rob Sale was doing, and it was commenting to a tight end on making sure that he was a little bit more violent on, on, on the hits that he was delivering. You know, and the second that Todd Graham walked away, Rob Sale's like, hey, yeah, be violent, hit him, but you don't want to block him off the ball so far that they're then able to make a play. So hit him, but keep your hands on him, you know. And so Rob Sale is able to go in there and kind of correct, not correct, but add on to something that Todd Graham said, and not have Todd Graham, you know, get get back in there and uh, try try to take that over. He's shown trust. He's shown the ability to adapt and do what is asked of him to make sure that this program has everything that it needs to be to be successful. And that's a credit to him. I I think there's a lot of pride involved in coaching, and there's a lot of pride involved in being the boss. It's hard to just let things go uh, and and, and let things be. And, And Todd Graham has really been able to do that in the practices that we've observed this year. Now, it's only three practices in. You know, you, old habits could absolutely take over, and you know you could see him tinker and 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 meddle. And I fully expect that to happen because you, you've been coaching for long enough that you know your sometimes your habits and your instincts are going to take over. So it might be the right thing to do in any given circumstance. It might not be. You know, we'll we'll wait and see. But all I can tell you is three spring practices into the 2017 season. This is a team that is busy working on fundamentals. The coaches are actually coaching. They're giving instruction. They're building up the players as football players. And we'll see if that has an impact on some of the players that have been here for a couple years but have yet to make an impact on the offensive line, on the defensive line, at tight end, at defensive back, definitely. 
We'll see if that if that ends up being a factor in the quarterback battle. We'll see who responds. I have to tell you that probably the most intrigue is at the quarterback position. I don't see any reason why Manny Wilkins should relinquish his starting role if he's able to naturally progress the way that a quarterback should. But if, if he peaked last year and we saw everything that he's able to do, there's some danger there because – you know the the quarterbacks that they have on this roster are incredibly talented, and 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 I don't necessarily see Brady White or Bryce Perkins um, fully competing for a job until they are completely medically cleared. Brady White's out there throwing some passes around, and Bryce Perkins is you know is going through reps with everybody else at maybe a seventy five percent pace. But uh, I mean, th- this this job could. I mean, it could even be won by Dylan Sterling Cole. Sure, you got a four-star Alabama transfer out there in Blake Barnett, uh, who's who's itching to grab this job and show what Alabama's missing. Um, you know, when when he left and they'd given that job to somebody else, but. Dylan Sterling Cole is incredibly talented. He might have the best arm out of everybody physically. He is definitely the most gifted. You know, he's not a runner. He's more of a pocket guy uh, than Barnett, more of a pocket guy than Wilkins, and certainly more than Perkins. Um, but uh, when when everything's working for him and his mechanics are on, he he can really let it go. And the one thing I'm really interested to see, and, and I talked about this in the spring roundtable that we did at DevilsDigest.com, is that if Billy Napier has the authority, if he sees Dylan and Sterling Cole outplay everybody. If he has the authority to say, that's my quarterback, I know that you thought it was going to be any one of four other players, but you know, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the uh with with the true sophomore. It'll be interesting to see if if that ends up being the case. You know, if if Billy Napier is willing to pull the trigger in his first year as Arizona State's offensive coordinator to say we're going to go with the guy that you know that that you thought might have been third or fourth string or or that you thought you might redshirt heading into the year. Um, but we got a great podcast for you. I appreciate you listening as always. Interviews with Kalen Bellage and Demario Richard up next. And I talked to Fabian Ardaya about Arizona State's offense and Devil's Digest publisher Hode Rubino about Todd Graham's transition, uh, the defense, and uh, the Devil's Digest community, which is something that I'm always super psyched to talk about. I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. Um, there's a group of people that have really taken care of me when, when I needed it, uh, that, that I, I, I owe everything to the fact that they read my stuff and listen to this podcast and um, I'm just a huge fan of the entire Devil's Digest community so I'm excited to have Hode on to talk about that but let's just get right into it out at spring practice today I had the opportunity to talk to the two dynamic running backs who both as seniors are going to be are going to be trying to really cement their legacy and what they leave behind at Arizona State University so first up we'll have a conversation with Kalen Balazs followed by Demario Richard uh, and then we'll get right into talking to Fabian Ardaya about Arizona State's offense and finish up with uh, with Hode Rubino. And last but certainly not least, I'll answer some of the questions on the Devil's Digest discussion board. Oh, 
All right, so we're out at spring practice number three with Kalen Balaj. Uh, came back for your senior season. You're out here with your teammates. Does it feel different as a senior? Uh, I mean, you, you're kind of the head of the pack. That's, that's kind of what it feels like. And, you know, you feel obligated to, to show the younger guys that don't know how we do things around here, show them the ropes. So just in that aspect, but every day I, I come here and, you know, I just want to get better at everything I do. So that's not going to change. So you see a guy like Eno come in here, had a lot of hype coming out of high school. Does that, I mean, does that remind you? I mean, it was only three years ago, right? Does that remind you a little bit of your situation where you were coming in for your first practices? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it seems like it was just yesterday and we're already here and I'm in my senior year getting ready ready to play in my last season. So it's it's very uh, exciting, you know, from my perspective, watching him, you know, grow as a player and a college athlete and from his perspective as well. So You've had to overcome lots of adversity uh, out here, um, whether it was physical or with switching coaches uh, or sharing time running the ball. Uh, how do you feel like you've grown as a person just having to deal with all of that? Just becoming patient. You know, I've always felt like I was a pretty good athlete and pretty good football player. So when you, you feel like you possess those attributes, um, you always want the ball in your hands. You always want the ball in your hands in every situation. But, you know, that's not how it can always be. You know what I'm saying? you got to be able to spread the ball around and, and, and do things that way as well. What do you feel like at this point you've discovered your biggest strength is as a running back? Mm, I think the fact that I, I'm, I'm good at a little bit of everything. Um, just being able to you know be great in pass protection and running the football, also catching screens and running routes. And um, I feel like anything that you ask me to do as a football player, I can go out there and I can execute it better than somebody else. What don't people know about this team? Who, who could come out and, and make some noise or who you know who's shown up in practice that you think might be due to do some special things on the field this year? I'm going to keep quiet. That's for you guys to find out. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time, Caleb. No Thanks. Thank you. Devil's Junkie Podcast here with Demario Richard out at the third spring practice. Uh, just wanted to ask you, you know, I go around and I talk to the recruits. It's my it's my job. And a lot of the people who are coming in on visits, uh, one of the first names that they always bring up is yours, that they actually get to uh, to, to visit um, with you, to meet with you, to ask you questions about, you know, the coaches playing at ASU. And one thing that they always bring up is they feel like you will never sugarcoat anything and you put them in a, in a situation um, to, to be successful and make the best decision. Uh, tell me just a little bit about your mindset and, and who you are as a person that allows you to do that. I'm a real straight up person. Like you said, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. So like when a recruit asks me about some stuff straight up, I'm going to tell you straight up. And I'm going to tell you how Coach Graham is and I'm going to tell you how we do things around here. So I'm, I, I never, my, my, my parents prided me on, you know, always tell the truth. Even the truth hurts, but you know, it's rather tell the truth than lie. So, um, like, if I, I come to recruits with open arms, you know, the nightlife, you know, that I let them know about the nightlife and everything, you know, I open arms, you guys can come to my house anytime you want to and stuff like that. You know, I, I have people come over all the time, you know, they got a recruit, go ahead and bring them on over and we can eat, you know, talk, play video games, you know, let them know about the system and everything, but, you know, I was always told never, never to sugarcoat anything. So, are you, I mean, are you doing something that you would have been looking for?
looking for as a high school coming out? Or do you set out to be a leader? Or is this just your personality, like you said, the way your parents raised you? It's the way my parents raised me. My parents always told me never, never to be a follower, you know, um, follow, follow your own footsteps, you know. But um, I, I pride myself in, you know, doing the things that I'm doing now because I know I wouldn't want somebody to get here and it's the total opposite, you know. So I always want them to keep their heads up and, you know, we got major, major talent here, major talent. But like Coach Graham, Coach Graham's going to throw you in the fire and see how you react. So um, I always tell recruits that and um, I just pride myself on never sugarcoating anything. You know, sugarcoating is not going to get you far in life. So I just, I tell coaches that too, like tell me straight up what I need to do. Don't sugarcoat anything. Just let me know so I can fix it. So you never, ever have been shy about your goals. More than anybody, you'll say stuff like Pac-12 South out loud. You'll say national championship. You know, you, you'll, you'll put those goals out there. Why do you do that? Because, I mean, that's what we all here for. We're not here to just win 10 games, lose three, lose four. We're not here for that. We're here to win the national championship. We're here, we're here to win the Pac-12 championship. We're here to let everybody in the nation know what we're here to do. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to keep my mouth shut for nobody. And as you can see, like you said, I come out to practice, and I see you guys national championship. I even interact with you guys. With baseball, I got the Cubs and seven, you know, stuff like that. So I'm not a real shy guy about keeping my mouth shut, you know. And a lot of people don't like it, but you got to get used to it. And they, I, I, t I tell them, like, you rather me lie to you or you want to know the truth you know but the truth might go, it's gonna hurt a little bit but you'll eventually get over it so just let me know what you want and then if i if you want to if you wanted me to sugarcoat it don't even don't even come 50 feet near me because i'm not i'm not i'm not like that i can't do it it's not in my blood speaking of the truth i got one last question for you and it's about it's about your legacy do you ever think about your legacy here because you're going on four years of getting a lot of carries at a major school do you ever think about your legacy and and what you want to leave behind here and what you want to be remembered by of course i mean that's why i came here that's why you come to college you come here to leave to leave a stamp on your legacy stamp your legacy here make, make sure your name is remembered make sure you, people remember you you know and one day i'm trying to get my name up here on, on on the on the stadium and get in the ring of honor but um yeah that's why you come to college you come here to play you don't come here just to sit on the bench and cheer cheer for people not nah, i mean you here to stamp make put a stamp on it um but i mean the rise of right now man i'm just living life, losing weight, having fun, you know, having fun with my teammates, interacting and just trying to get the job done, you know, come out here every day, bust my butt every day and uh, just win games and get to get to where we want to be. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So I am here with Fabian Ardaya, host of the Palm Talk podcast on Blaze Radio, as well as longtime writer for Devil's Digest, has been around the Arizona State football program, I mean, for the last at least three years solid, right? Yeah, yeah, I've been basically since I was, well, off and on, basically since I was in high school, but yeah, for the last three years, pretty consistently, yes. So you've, you've watched uh, Arizona State's, I, I won't even say, I won't even say descent, but sort of evolution into, you know, people catching up to what they do defensively, the roster turning over with a lot more talent infusion, but also the coaches turning over and them kind of struggling to, to develop those players to meet the expectations that Todd Graham had when he first came in. Uh, heading into 2017 spring practice, um, I have to ask you what your first impressions are just of this team as well as the way they carry themselves and, and, and how it's different from what you've seen before. Uh, I think it starts with Todd Graham. I think Todd is in a different position this year. This is a 
I hate to say it, but it's a make or break year for Todd. Uh, he has to sort of honestly take things more from CEO role than he has in the past, try to make sure that every single hole in the program is plugged up. And I think that's taking away from how he traditionally coaches, which is typically very hands-on. He's typically very involved in drills. He was essentially the DB's coach with TJ Rushing as the backup TV, uh, assist, assistant there. And the year, and last year and in years past, he'd been very involved. This year, he's in more of a CEO role. I think this is a team that they recognize that there's talent on this roster, but they also know that last year was an incredible disappointment as far as the production, given the talent level and how much they, how well they've been able to recruit in recent years. So I think it's a team that is still trying to figure itself out. I think last year was jarring in a lot of ways because even though they won only six games the year before, I think maybe maybe many saw like saw it as a fluke. Now two years in a row, they they realize that things sort of have to change a little bit. And so one of the things that they didn't really sit back and rest on their laurels with was the quarterback situation. Obviously, they were in a pretty good place last year, just had a lot of young talent, ran into injuries and some bad luck. But that didn't stop them from recruiting Ryan Kelly and going out and getting Blake Barnett to transfer into the program. What were your expectations for the quarterback battle coming in, and how has that been altered or enhanced based on the first two days of spring practice that you've observed? I mean, spring is kind of hard for this quarterback battle just because Basically, three of the six people, theoretically, who will be on scholarship at quarterback in the fall won't be able to fully participate in the spring. So Bryce Perkins was out there throwing passes. He's as close to a full participant as you can be without taking hits or anything like that. Uh, Brady White's throwing passes, but is very limited. Ryan Kelly won't be there in the fall. So it's essentially a three-man race uh, during the spring alone. Uh, I was expecting... I wasn't expecting anyone to really separate themselves this early, and no one really has, but... I think early on, I think it's going to be a lot uh, closer than I originally anticipated just because uh, I thought that by the end of the spring it would be a two-man race and it would be pretty clear who at least a slight leader is, but it seems like it's going to be a three-man race. It's going to be tight at the end of the spring. It's going to be something that's going to be settled in the fall. What's your early impression of Billy Napier and Rob Likens? Because they've really been working closely with each other from what we've seen. Obviously, the, we're, we're limited in the sessions that we can view, but you know we're out there with, uh, with the receivers running through routes and the quarterbacks getting uh, sort of rapid reps, and Billy Napier sort of, you know, taking on that role of, uh, of, of of the architect of the offense, and he definitely owns it. You know, he, he carries himself uh, in a way where it's it's very obvious that he's in charge. And then, you know, it's it's like uh, his apprentice or the guy with him alongside him is Rob Likens, who has been kind of a really encouraging presence uh, for the ASU receivers so far. What's your impression of those guys, and, and, and how do you think what they bring will be different than maybe uh, Deldon Alexander in the past or, or Jay Norvell? Well, uh, Billy Napier, I think when I was talking to him at Mini Media Day beforehand, he said that he felt a lot more confident this time around as a, as a play caller. He didn't really feel like he was fully ready for the first offensive coordinator job he had at Clemson. And you could sort of tell that this time he at least has some sort of assurance of himself, maybe whether it's cockiness or swagger, just coming from the Alabama program where you feel so confident and everything. You can sort of sense that he brings a little bit of that with, the, with him to the practice field. Uh, Rob Likens is a guy who's been around He's experienced, he understands how this works And I think he is trying to make it By being so positive, so accommodating Is trying to make it an easy transition Because this is the third offensive coordinator In as many years for this program I think you just have to make things as simple as possible 
early on so you can get used to exactly what differences there are. And I mean, you have you have several guys on this staff now that have either run an offense or helped run an offense uh, with Billy Napier at Clemson and with with Rob Likens at Kansas. Neither one of those situations went the way that they wanted them to, um, but because they do have that experience and a little bit of that authority, that should play into uh, them being able to at least command the attention of, of, of the people they have. And speaking of the receivers that they have, that's that's probably as big of a battle as, as quarterback. It's just a lot less high profile with, with transfers finally being eligible, uh, with other players emerging. Is, is there anybody to you that stood out that might have really been flying under the radar coming into this season? I mean, Akilah looks great, but he's not under the radar. Um, Brian Jenkins is getting some early reps, which is impressive. He's a guy who actually saw some time on the field as a walk-on last season. I don't think he's going to be a huge game-changer, but he's someone who I think can get reps, who I think people weren't necessarily anticipating that. I was expecting a lot more out of Jalen Harvey so far. Again, it's early, but he hasn't had the best couple practices from what I've been able to see. Uh, I'm excited to see what John uh, Humphreys and Ryan Newsom can bring together. I think one of those two is going to step up. And as far as receivers under the radar, I've been waiting for Terrell Chapman basically to break out since he got on campus. He physically has the tools to be great. I think his issue in the past has been just picking up the offense. And maybe this is an offense that you can find that clicks with what he wants to do. Uh, And if that's the case, then that's a possibly scary duo out on the outside as far as physically between Nikhil Harry and Terrell Chapman. Yeah, and Ryan, I mean, Ryan Jenkins really has a chance to step into kind of Fred Gamage's role. If he can be a dependable senior, um, that that would be helpful. And, and when one of the last things that I wanted to ask you about, uh, just sticking with the offense, is um, Grant Martinez medically retires a lot like Chance Cox did the, the year before, foot injuries, uh, stuff that they dealt with even in high school, bleeding over into college. They end up getting their degree. They're still Sun Devils. You know, people still appreciate uh, what they've done, but they, you know, it never gets to – to come in and contribute uh, the way that he would have liked. But with him gone uh, off the depth chart completely and Raymond Epps moving on to SMU, you really have – I mean, can the Sun Devils depend on J.J. Wilson to be an every-down tight end, to block, to catch, to stay out of trouble? Is is he somebody you feel like the Sun Devils can depend on to be there every down the way that Chris Coyle was or Cody Cole was? Can he be the guy? Well, I think ASU's already looking They're already looking at contingency plans. If, if that's not the case, I think they've been working Tommy Hudson a lot more than years past. Jared Buback has been drawing a lot of attention from Todd Graham as far as on the practice field just to make sure everything's refined because those guys are guys who might have to be dependent on in case J.J. Wilson can't be dependent on. Uh, J.J. Wilson physically has everything that it takes to be probably one of the most athletically gifted tight ends uh, this program's seen, especially since Todd Graham has taken over. Everything's just, I think, off the field, maturity-wise. And uh, I, I don't know, I think maybe the third year is the charm. He's a guy who uh, got time as a true freshman but had issues with personal issues, also had off-the-field issues last season. Uh, if he can find a way to get maturity and stick, keep his head on the right path and stick with uh, the guy who he calls his older brother, Demario Richard, in a way of sort of knowing how to handle himself, if he can do that, then I think he's perfectly capable of being a real force in this offense, at least just with his ability to be so versatile and be used in so many different ways. All right, Fabian, appreciate your time. Right, thank you. All right.
right, so we are out at the Nadine Ed Carson Center out at ASU. I got Hode Rubino of Devil's Digest with me. Um, Hode handles everything for, for Devil's Digest. And, and uh, since the transition from Scout to Rivals, uh, I've been by your side, been working with you, um, taught me everything I know as far as uh, the, the college side goes. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit about how this spring feels different than maybe some of the previous spring practices. Uh, I mean, how, how many has this been for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, basically, I've been a beat writer uh, since the turn of the century <laughs> for Arizona State. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, saw a lot of bad ASU football, but uh, but also some uh, some really, really good years, too, as well. Um, this year, I think the obvious answer would be just change. Um, and not that there wasn't change uh, last year, but I think uh, the changes even enhanced that much more in 2017. Uh, literally um, a uh, whole different um, core of uh, assistant coaches at Arizona State. Not a lot of carryover from last year. Uh, some will say that's probably a good thing when the team finishes 5-7, and seven, that, that you, wanna, you want the players to have new voices. You want to project uh, to the fan community that uh, you are trying things differently. Uh, because obviously the definition of insanity is trying to do the same thing uh, without changing anything. So that's uh, one thing that uh, is uh, definitely noticeable. Uh, within that change, I know you've been in the first couple practices of spring, uh, seeing Todd Graham not spending that much time uh, with the defense, barking instructions and whatnot, really uh, making sure that he spends a lot of time with the offense. I think that's a notable uh, change. And uh, and I don't think it's just window dressing. Um, you know, Phil Bennett in my interview with him made it uh, crystal clear. This is his defense. He was given the keys. Uh, Todd Graham um, is going to have some input, but it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be that much in game planning. It's definitely not going to be calling plays on Saturdays. So uh, that's something that right now in spring practice we're already seeing that Todd Graham not driving uh, the defense uh, like he did uh, in years past. And uh, you have a defensive coordinator in Phil Bennett that's not only defensive coordinator in name, but somebody that actually is uh, running the defense from so start to bottom. So those are the things that uh, stand out. I think I, I don't think um, that people would look at Todd Graham and say that that's a guy who could uh, on on the you know drop of a pin you know could could change his stripes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet two years in a row he's been asked to be something completely different than who we're accustomed to him being and make huge personal transitions um, as far as his character, as far as his management style. And uh, he was able to do it last year to, to a large extent, I'd say maybe 90% of the way. Um, and then and then this year he's been asked to be a completely different person. And I think he's also, through self-examination, has realized that that's going to be what's best for the program. Have you ever seen a situation like that where, where a coach who, who, for all intents and purposes, is considered stubborn and set in his ways, most coaches are, um, but to be making changes this dramatic um, deep into their career, have you ever seen anything like that, and do you think it will work? Um, as far as if I saw it, I mean, I'm just going back to my 17-year tenure as a beat writer. Um, I definitely didn't see it with Dirk Cutter. I mean, you know, you've been in the Valley um, yeah. even longer than me. You know. He was who he was, yeah. Stubbornness was in Dirk Cutter's DNA, period, end of story. So I definitely didn't see Dirk Cutter um, uh, really exercising any changes or even drastic changes for that matter. And some said that that was his downfall. I mean, people, um, you know, you remember, obviously, uh, you know, Brent Guy, 
getting tons of criticism as a failed defensive coordinator. And um, yes, Dirk Cutter brought Bill Miller, and to this day I'll say that if you brought Bill Miller as a defensive coordinator two or three years earlier, I think Dirk Cutter's fate at Arizona State could take on a whole different direction. But that was a change that was uh, forced not because Dirk Cutter thought that Brent Guy wasn't a good defensive coordinator, because Brent Guy left for Utah State, and um, you know, and the rest is history, as they say. Um, Dennis Erickson, we all know, was really in cruise control from the day he got here at Arizona State. Uh, was able to win 10 games and uh, share for the Pac-10 championship then, 2007. You give him credit for that. But after that, uh, his tenure was uh, pretty disastrous, and that's probably, probably putting it kindly. Um, so, no, I don't think I saw any, any coach... Um, really um, changing as much as Todd Graham did. I also think it's a functionality also who the athletic director is um, at the time. Um, you know, Lisa Love, I don't think she had it in her to um, demand changes just like Ray Anderson did. And I think Ray Anderson did it in a pretty subtle way with Todd Graham. He basically told Todd Graham, okay, you tell me what needs to be changed. Um, basically telling Todd Graham, you know, you better come up with some solutions, some things are going to do differently, and don't tell me everything's hunky-dory. But uh, like you said, self-realization, that's an excellent adjective or term I would use, because when you go back-to-back losing seasons, you obviously have to change something. So um, I think that uh, Todd Graham realized that he had to change, and he did, and he did change. Uh, whether that change is going to work or not, I'm, I'm optimistic that it will. Um, I think uh, just having Phil Bennett on the defensive side as a coordinator, just having a whole different voice in those players' ears. Um, not maybe revamping all the terminology, but revamping enough to um, force the players to you know, maybe refocus, if you will, um, on their assignments, um, on, the, on their technique, on their mechanics. I think those are things that uh, definitely uh, could help. Uh, on offense, you look at the defensive coordinator like, like Bill Napier, um, I think that, um, you know, not that Chin Lindsay has done a bad job here at Arizona State. I think he was definitely uh, handcuffed with some shortcomings that he couldn't definitely not fix in one year. But, um, but I feel that um, not only Billy Napier, but even having uh, somebody like, like Rob Sell with the offensive line, uh, this is a group, and, you know, everybody on Devil's Die just knows that I'm talking about this ad nauseum, has really been the downfall of the entire offense. I mean, you can talk about issues of quarterback, running back, wide receiver, but I think the offensive line has really failed Arizona State, especially last year. And I think with guys like Napier and Sale coming into the mix, I think that's a change that you almost feel like by default um, should work and should yield uh, different results. Napier talks about um, using the tight end much more than Chip Lindsey did. So that's another change that I think is going to be very, very positive. Um, and again, people that read my stuff know that how much I'm talking about J.J. Wilson being the X factor every year. And maybe this is the year that... Um, just using the tight ends um, in a different manner and especially highlighting something like J.J. Wilson that much more can really help. So I think the changes, at least on paper, should work. Uh, I, I mean, if the ship goes down in 2017 with, with Todd Graham, I don't think he could look back and say, well, he didn't change um, as much as he should have. You could just say that maybe the changes did not work. But that's right. a different narrative than saying that Todd Graham was stubborn, set in his ways, and thought what he did in 2015-16 would work in 2017. That's not going to be the case. We've seen that on paper. We've seen that in spring practice, just after a couple of practices. So I think um, the change is definitely there. Whether it's going to work or not remains to be seen. I, I like to be optimistic and, and think that <clears throat> you are going to see some change. You'll see a winning record. It may be seven wins rather than ten wins. But I think the change will yield, yield positive results because, again, I just think they really talked, they looked at the core issues that plagued this program in 2016 and really t- trying to do almost a 180 uh, from those issues. So um, you like to think that those, uh, 
modifications, those uh, change of philosophies are going to yield results. You brought up how things make sense on paper. And speaking of on paper, this defense is bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic than perhaps it's ever been. Um, but the results weren't they, – they were lacking um, for, for lack of a better <laughs> – term and for, for lack of a term that I would I, I mean would would probably uh, capture some of the feelings of a lot of disgruntled ASU fans out there um, despite the fact that they've recruited well despite the fact that they're bigger stronger faster more athletic uh, taking into consideration of what else is out there as far as the offenses that the Pac-12 runs uh, does ASU have the horses? Does Phil Bennett have the horses to compete, to have a competitive defense at Arizona State as early as this season? I think competitive enough to maybe turn a 5-7 and seven to 7-5, seven and five, yes. Uh, d- uh, defense uh, in terms of a Pac-12 South caliber championship, probably not. Uh, but again, you and I are sitting here as Arizona State beat writers and our knowledge of what's going on in the rest of the Pac-12 South, for example, is pretty limited. I mean, we, you know, we can read reports and, and know, you know, just from other beat writers' experiences, but we don't know how, uh, you know, if USC, for example, is really going to live up to the hype that it generated towards the latter part of 2016. Um, is UCLA's fall uh, last year um, just an aberration or just really this the tra- trajectory that, uh, that, that uh, the Bruin program is going to take? So... That also um, comes into consideration, but I think that, um, but but I, but I think that uh, by and large, um, just having a different voice, and that's something I just can't stress enough. And the reason I'm saying that is, and that's again something we talked about in Sparky's Huddle, is that um, the amount of defensive audibles that came from Todd Graham during the year uh, really set back this defense. And, um, and I, I said it a thousand times, I'll say it again, Keith Patterson, in my eyes, is really a scapegoat. I mean, those, that's the guy that, he, that ASU fans, by and large, are uh, blaming on the issues that the Arizona State defense had in 2016. And I really feel that uh, Todd Graham's meddling, for lack of a better term. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Exactly, yes. Um, it has really, really hindered, um, really hindered Arizona State. I mean, I felt that the talent, the speed, all the intangibles that you want for a defense were there. But when you have all those um, audibles, all those meddling, if you will, um, come into play, uh, that takes away a lot, I think, from the abilities of a group. So um, that's, that's some of the things that, again, were issues in 2016. In 2017, you're already seeing clear and early signs that it will change. So I think that, first and foremost, uh, will cause the Arizona State defense to turn around um, you know, you'd like to think they're not going to be last in the country in pass defense for the third year in a row. Um, I, I think that's attainable. Uh, how much better it's going to be remains to be seen. But again, I think this defense, um, with the new attitude, with the talent that they have, is good enough to turn a losing program into a winning program. But I would definitely caution of thinking that this defense can elevate Arizona State to a 9-10 win season. I think that would be uh, probably overly optimistic um, at this point. Okay, so um, talk to me a little bit about because you know I've been part of the Devil's Digest community for just over two years now. Uh, we we moved over to Rivals. I mean, I can't. I'm at the point where I can't imagine you know life without it. It's the first thing I check in the morning. You know, first thing I, I, I check uh, before I go to bed. That just the community of people in there helped me through an incredibly difficult time when my daughter was in the hospital. People were incredibly supportive. You know, sent food, prayers, well wishes. You know, whatever it is, it's it's an incredible community of people. Um, I, I guess uh, 
how were you able to develop that and, and, and what is it that people are missing out on if, if they're not in the huddle and getting this in, inside information and participating in this community? I think, um, you know, we talk about the sense of community. That's something that's um, definitely important to me. Um, you know, you definitely don't want to have, you know, tragic situations like you had to show how great this community is. But um, the community definitely shined, you know, in your case, for example. But I also think it shined really on a day-to-day basis more and more in a really mundane way, if you will. Um, just having a civil um, discord among uh, the uh, members of, of Sparky's Huddle. I mean, look, it's really um, easy in a year like 2016 or even two th- 2015 to just throw one firebomb after another in a message board and just uh, get into a huge tirade of, uh, of personal attacks and, and just a lot of um, rhetoric, a lot of narrative that is not conducive to any message board. But that's not this message board. They, these, are, these people are, na- it feels like neighbors. Yeah. To be exactly. It feels like you're at a tailgate just sitting <laughs> in your living room or at work. Yeah, exactly. And, and look, I mean, you can be passionate not only about Arizona State football, but anything in life. You can be passionate in many, in many different ways. And I think um, you, can, you can be passionate to, to a point where, sure, I mean, you definitely acknowledge um, the shortcomings of Arizona State football. You don't um, use venom when you do that. Um, you don't blow it out of proportions. And more, and more importantly, you look constructively, how can it get better? Um, so, so that's something that I really think we saw in Sparkus Huddle the last couple of years. I mean, there was some honest discussion. I mean, also from you and I. I mean, we never sat there in sugar code and said, oh, Arizona State should be, you know, to, to 10 and 2 right now instead of 5 and 7. We, we, we never, we, we never right. said that. I mean, there's some issues. You acknowledge them head on. You explain, you explain what's wrong. You also explain how to go ahead and fix it. And I think um, just by having myself and my staff members like yourself set that tone, I think that really sets the tone for the rest of the message board uh, to have to, to have that civil discourse. After all, everybody on that board, I like to think, has the same goal in mind as for Arizona State football to be the best program it can be out there. Um, but I think when you have um, that, uh, that positive, constructive narrative, when you can analyze without um, you know, over-criticizing um, you know, certain aspects of the program, I think that helps um, set the tone for the direction the website takes, and again, I think just really sets the tone for the for the direction that the community takes. So that's something that's what I really like about our, our community of members. Um, there's honest, there's frank discussion, but I never feel that it goes off the rails. Because I mean, as much as you might might be discouraged with Arizona State football, um, I don't think uh, you want to go. You could come to community where just things are just blown out of proportion, and just have unrealistic statements be thrown left and right, and worst of all, having personal attacks. That doesn't do. Um, right. That 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 doesn't make a message board attractive, in in my view. I don't think anybody else's view, for that matter. So those are things that that, that I'm that I'm proud of. And again, I think it just really starts with our staff, and I think just trickles down to the community members in Sparky's Huddle. Well, I, uh, if you're not there, you should be. Um, we'd we'd love to have you in Sparky's Huddle on DevilsDigest.com. Hoda Bean, I really appreciate your time. Okay, thanks a lot, Ralph. Okay, so uh, to close out this episode of the Devil's Junkie podcast, 
Uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and answer some questions from the subscribers on Devil's Digest board. And I don't have too many questions this week, but a couple of interesting ones. The first one comes from the original Sun Devil for Life, a well-known member. Um, he asks, what are your main takeaways after one practice compared to years past, and what do you look for in the coming practices that we should be keeping an eye on? Uh, honestly, the biggest difference for me is the absence of, 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 of Todd Graham's overarching vocal presence on everything that is going on at any given time. You know, he, he'd be pretty frenetic. He'd be all over the place, uh, giving giving instruction, correcting things, making sure that everybody's doing everything that they're supposed to. Really, the only time that I saw that Todd Graham make an appearance was in Saturday's practice, the third practice, when he got on Mitch Ferboni for not um, for not showing a sense of urgency in, in getting snaps off to the special teams unit, who is essentially coaching themselves right now because Sean Slocum is working with, with, the, uh, with the Devils backers. So, I mean, that's really the only time that I saw him jump on anybody, and I think in that point it was necessary, and they didn't have any supervision. He wasn't stepping on anybody's toes. So that, to me, that's probably the biggest difference, that and the fact that everybody seems to be working on fundamental issues instead of really getting into scheme and hitting the ground running. As far as what I look for in practices and what you should be keeping an eye on, stay tuned to the Devil's Digest board because Fabian Ardai and Justin Toscano and, and Hode, they do a great job at telling you what's going on from practice to practice. The thing that I spend the most time looking at um, is... Obviously, the, the the depth chart stuff interests me, but that can change so rapidly from practice to practice. Uh, I I look to see development, um, to see if people are more more confident if they carry themselves differently than in previous seasons. One person that I can tell you uh, definitely seems to be carrying themselves differently, uh, Kareem Orr out there seems to be the absolute unquestioned leader of the secondary. Um, now, leader might bring up different connotations depending on who you are, what you view as a leader, and everything like that. I mean leader talent-wise. Um, whereas you always knew he was talented, he was kind of young and, and brash. You know, I'm not talking about the type of leader that you know that gets everybody gung-ho and makes sure that everybody's on the line of scrimmage and makes sure the play is called correctly. I mean, the guy that you look to to make a play right now is Kareem more. Um, the other thing that I look at is maybe just increased uh, instances of maturity, uh, whether that's physically or just the way that people carry themselves. To be honest, Tyler Wiley looks to me like he is matured. He looks more confident as a defensive back, and he's been somebody who's been switched back and forth several times. Well, now he actually looks like he belongs. Um, and so, you know, that's something that I look for, physical maturity. I mean, you talk about a guy like Dion Guinard or Dylan Sterling Cole, who's, you know, 20 pounds of muscle heavier, or Christian Hill, who has lost a bunch of weight and looks really slim, and, 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 and it could help him on the defensive line. Those things are all, you know, easily noticeable. Chase Lucas is much bigger, and the coaches seem to have more confidence in them. Those are the things that I look for, and I would say just stay tuned to the devilsdigest.com board, and anything of note that we see, we're not going to hold it back from you. Uh, Santan Devil, here's a question. Was Robbie Robinson given a fair shake at playing time in 2016? Kind of felt like not playing him last year uh, would be like going to the prom with your sister because the alternative is beautiful but a tad short. Um, (laughs) It's a funny way to phrase the question, but... um, Here's the deal. Robbie Robinson is from Virginia, where Jason Lewis was from. Um, Chris Ball had a tendency to recruit players that weren't from around here. 
when I f- my, went to my first ever Rivals Challenge in Baltimore to interview players that Arizona State had an interest in, they had a ton of elite defensive backs out there four- and five-star players from all over the country, and each one of them said they talked to Chris Ball all the time. Now, is it worth recruiting somebody who lives 2,000 miles away? Not always. You notice those guys get homesick. There's a culture difference. They end up leaving. Um, Robbie Robinson is from somewhere far away, came out here, and didn't get much playing time. Now, I'm disappointed because I personally think that Robbie Robinson is somebody who, as an Arizona State University graduate, would have gone on to do very good things as a human being uh, and would have been a representative of of the Sun Devils in doing those things. He's he's different. He's thoughtful. He's methodical. He was very mature uh, and very and very unique in the way that he approached different topics um, as an 18-year-old kid, and I always found that to be incredibly refreshing. Uh, The truth is, you know, he's going to get an opportunity to play somewhere else. Uh, It seems like Arizona State has taken chances on shorter defensive backs uh, time and time again to have them come out and practice well, but not want to take the chance when it comes time to actually play the game. DeAndre Scott was somebody who always looked good in practice to me. Robbie Robinson came in about as good as he's ever going to play. I mean, he was confident. He seemed ready to go when he got here. He looked good when he got into games. The only time I ever really saw him mess up was uh, fall fall camp T. You know, he wasn't great at fielding punts, but that wasn't something they were going to ask him to do anyway. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that he wasn't given a, a fair shot. I would say they really had nothing to lose by putting him in the game. They were the absolute worst when it came to pass defense. You couldn't get worse than them. So how would playing Robbie Robinson have hurt them more? It would have been literally impossible to shoot yourself in the foot any more than you already had. You had blown your foot off already. So so I think that Robbie Robinson obviously could have played more, but that wouldn't change the fact that he's far away from home, that you know that he has other things that he wants you know even if he played that wouldn't necessarily mean that they were they were thinking about playing him this year there's new players there's new blood in the fold they're um you know they're already chase lucas is ahead of maurice chandler and some of the drills that they're doing in practice you know he probably wouldn't have taken too kindly to to having freshmen come in and and automatically be ahead of him i i think it's a big loss um maybe off the football field more than it is on the football field, but I thought he was a very good player. I think he'll be good wherever he ends up. Uh, But as far as fairness goes, I mean, the only thing that I would say that would really be unfair to him is the fact that they pursued him in the first place if that's not what they want out here. And and there are a lot of things about uh, Chris Ball's tenure um, at Arizona State that give me pause um, that that I mean you know he recruited the absolute best players didn't get a lot of them um, you know had had issues potentially developing certain players while he was out here and we've seen players after he's left transfer to go elsewhere you know and I've, I've I, and I've heard since then that you know on his on his way out you know he he didn't necessarily uh, be, not to say anything bad, but there there wasn't it wasn't a smooth transition from from Ball to rushing as far as the people that Ball had been in contact with when he was here, and that's just from prospects that I talked to. Uh, not trying to start any rumors or or tarnish anybody's name. That's just the truth of what what I've heard from from when I talked to players, and so. Um, 
you know, uh, his strategy was questionable, and I'd say if there was anything that was unfair, it would be recruiting him in the first place if they weren't necessarily going to um, afford him the opportunity. Same as DeAndre Scott, uh, same as some of the other players that they've had come in and be a little bit too small um, to, to fit into the scheme that they have in the defensive backfield. And so that's all the questions that we have for this this episode of the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I really appreciate you listening. Stay tuned for a special episode of the Devil's Junkie Podcast where I get a hold of, uh, of about 12 of the guys who came for Junior Day at ASU and they're going to tell you all about the facilities, the coaches, the relationships they developed and whether they see themselves in maroon and gold if an offer ever comes. So again, this is Ralph Amson, Devil's Junkie Podcast, and we'll see you next time. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town